Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We'll be in verses 11 through 18. By this we know love. By this we know love. And I just tell you what, Roger, I believe we should do a song like that once every quarter or so just to remind us that Baptists cannot clap on time, no matter how hard they try. (laughs) You guys clap on time about as well as you uh, show up late for dinner, and we know none of you are going to do that. So, As we get this morning to a section of Scripture, we begin to talk about the subject of love just a little bit, the, the discussion on the subject of love. And as we've started this new year, and it hasn't happened on purpose, uh, of, of my purpose anyway, but it seems that God has directed us to, to kind of take this path. But we started in Acts chapter 2, and we talked about the early, church, the early church and its obedience to the Holy Spirit, and how until the church was obedient to the Holy Spirit, uh, they didn't really move. But after they were obedient to the Holy Spirit... They absolutely exploded. Things went crazy in Jerusalem town when the church got on board with the Holy Spirit. And then we kind of moved from there uh, to the message that Peter was preaching in that time. And it was the glory of the cross of Jesus. Last week we looked uh, at the cross of Jesus. We said it was an odd time of year to be looking to that message because it wasn't Easter. But I think that as we looked at it, we realized that the cross should not only be preached at Easter, but really it should be the theme of our lives. It should be what we live out every day is that we will glory in the cross. And so the kind of natural evolution that we've taken is that we would now look at love and how it manifests itself in the life of a believer as a result of the cross. And it kind of, if you think about it, love is a subject that is talked about quite a bit in our culture today. It's not a foreign word. It's not something that we don't understand. But for some reason, now I just want you to think about this. When I say the word love, it should bring about positive emotions in your life. When I say love, we should automatically associate that really with with good things. But somehow or another in our culture, the word love has become so tainted that now it almost brings about this this banging of the heads a little bit. This, 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 how do you define love? What do you call love? What is love? And so we've got these definitions of love and everyone seems to have an opinion about what love is and how love manifests itself. There there are those in the world that would say today that Christians don't know how to love. In fact, they would say that as Christians that we would suppress love because we want to tell someone how or in what manner that they can love in their lives. And they say that if we love them, we would respect their desires. The world says that if God was truly a loving God, that he could not and would not punish people with an eternity in hell. The culture around us would have us to believe, and unfortunately many churches this morning would tell this story to try and be 
appealing in a more popular way, but the culture around us would have us to believe that a person just can't help how they love, and it's not our place to tell them how or when or, or where that their love should take place. And I'm here to tell you this morning that this morning we're going to look at the marks of true love and, and the true marks of a Christian love. And as, I, as we do, I, I just want to say this as we get into it. The world can try to describe love in any way that it wants to. Anyone can define love any way that they want to, to appeal to what makes them feel good. In fact, we can really take any biblical subject that we want to and we can define it any which way we want to to make it fit what we want it to say if we really think about it hard enough. But the simple fact will always remain that the Word of God is true. And it is our moral compass. It is our standard that we have to go by. Because if we don't go by the standard of the Word of God, then whose standard are we going to go by? Are we going to go by mine because I am the pastor? Are we going to go by Brian's because he teaches the children? Are we going to go by David's because he runs the sound? Whose opinion is, are we going to have a business meeting where we vote and we decide whose opinion on things it is that we're going to follow? Well, that doesn't make much sense. All of you sitting here today say that makes absolutely no sense. Preacher, that may be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We've got the Word of God that defines what, what our standards are going to be. Not some man's. We're going to use the Word of God. Yet, how many times in our lives do we not live by the Word of God? We would rather live by our own opinions and our own standards, and we would rather not go back to the Word and say, What saith the Lord on this matter? And yet we have it. Genesis through Revelation, spelled out in front of us. If God wanted it to be said, it was said in His Word. Therefore, that is our standard. So the world can define love however it wants to, but as Christians and as a church, we're going to define love in the way that God defines love. Because we're going to define it in the biblical sense. Not because we hate how anybody else defines love, but because we're going to be obedient to a Christ who died and showed us the truest example of love ever manifested on this earth. No matter how long this earth remains in existence, the example of love that Jesus Christ gave us on Calvary's cross will always be the biggest manifestation of love that any of us could ever see. No matter how much you love your children, no matter how much you love your brother or your sister or your parents, no matter how much you love your spouse, Never will another manifestation of love even come close to what Jesus did on Calvary's Hill. So that is the example that we're going to look at. And I'm not about to pretend that I am intelligent nor qualified enough to tell someone how they should love and what they love. If somebody tells me they love something and it's contrary to what the Bible says, I'm not here to tell them that they don't love that. What I'm here to tell them is that if it's contrary to what the Word of God says, they can't practice that. They can't practice that. You can't go on. I, I've had this discussion with so many people. They say, so I guess you're going to tell me, I guess you're going to tell me I don't really love them. I said, no, I'm not going to tell you you don't really love them. I'm going to tell you if you practice that love physically or emotionally, you're contrary to what the Word of God says and you're living in sin. I'm not here to have the discussion with who loves what. What I'm here to have the discussion of is what are the marks of a true Christian? What are the marks of love of a true Christian? So let us all stand 
as we honor the reading of God's holy and infallible word from the book of 1 John chapter 3. We will begin in verse 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's good and see, goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let us pray. Father God, we stand before you and we ask that you would do what only you could do, and that is dwell among your people this morning, Lord God. God, we pray that we would handle your word properly and that your word would go out and do what you intend for it to do. And we know that you tell us that it will not return void. So we thank you in advance for how you're going to use this word this morning, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, you may be seated. The message of John here is, is really a simple message as we look at these verses. It really is it's very simple. If you had to define this section of 1 John of his writings, you would say that he basically says, the mark of the world is hatred, the mark of the church is love. That's really how you would sum up what he's saying here. Those who know God, the church, their mark is that of love. But those that do not know God, those who live in the world and follow the, the father of the world, they... Their mark is hatred, which is the opposite of love. And that's a pretty simple way to clean this up, but I don't think it's, it quite explains what we're trying to get to here. If I did, we'd quit now and we'd all go home. But, but unfortunately, as that's the, kind of the theme of the whole thing. I want you to keep that in mind. But we're going to look a little bit at the marks and how they go around because the church, really, we, sh we should look different than the world. And we should look different from the world in the way that we love those around us, in the way we love each other, and the way that we love the world. I want you to think about John as he wrote these words. He would have seen the, the love of Christ demonstrated several times. A few specifically, he saw the love of Christ demonstrated in the upper room at the Last Supper with his disciples. As Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he washes the feet of his disciples. And that was a symbol that I love you so much that I'm going to serve you here in this supper. I want to serve you. I want to wash your feet. And if I don't, if I don't serve you, if I don't love you, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of my kingdom. He heard Jesus say that the new commandment is to love one another. And then Jesus said, how will men know that you are my disciples? By how you love. John would have heard Jesus say those words. Jesus would say, you don't have to go out and beat your chest and put on a Jesus t-shirt for everyone to know that you're a disciple of Jesus because if you truly love me, it'll be evident in the way you love each other. It'll be evident in the way that you show love to the world. 
John would have seen the ultimate display of Jesus' love up close because he was the only disciple that was still hanging out when Jesus uttered the words to Talistai at the cross. John was the only one who was still there. In fact, John was the one that Jesus would look to and he'd say, I give you the care of my mother. I want you to take my mother and I want you to treat her as if she is your mother and make sure that she's taken care of moving forward. And in all those demonstrations of love, I want you to realize what happened in the life of John. Because John has, has really two kind of nicknames in the Bible that he earned. The first was Son of Thunder. Right? He was one of the sons of thunder, the one who would go in and he would rain down fire and he would ring in anger and he would serve God and he would punch you in the mouth with the Bible and he was the son of thunder, he and his brother. But by the end, he earns the nickname of John, the beloved. John, the disciple of love. And it was from all of these examples of watching Jesus and how his love manifested that I feel like the heart of John moved from, from one of the sons of thunder. And I'm not saying that as he became John the Beloved, he became weak, meek. I'm sure that he was still quite thunderous when he needed to be, but he displayed love in such a way that he became known as the Beloved Disciple. And as we get into the examples this morning, I want us to define love. And, and I feel like the best definition of the biblical love that we're talking about in 1 John came from... Brother Dwight Moody, an uh, old pastor, passed away many years ago. And he defined it this way. He said, biblical love is self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one who is loved. I want you to think about Jesus and how he fulfilled that. He was definitely self-sacrificing. He was definitely committed. And he definitely showed the highest good for all of those whom he loved, which was his creation. And I think that's a pretty good definition. I couldn't improve on it or I would have, but I thought he nailed that one pretty good. And so as we look at John this morning, we're going to see the contrast between the world and the church, or the saved and the unsaved. And as we look at love, what I want us to remember is the other side. If the mark of the church is love, then the mark of the world is hatred. And if the definition of love is self-sacrificing, caring, commitment, looking for the highest good of the one that is loved, then the opposite of love would be selfish insensitive attitude that shows disregard for the good of others while serving self-interest. And what is unfortunate, church, is that while that stark contrast is supposed to apply in the difference between the church and the world, as I read that definition, many of you thought of a time in your life where you or someone you were close to displayed a selfish insensitive attitude with disregard to others while serving their own self-interest within the church because we have done such a poor God job of holding true to the love that we're supposed to share for one another that many of you when I read that definition did not think of the world outside but of your brother or sister inside and that, church, is the exact reason why so many people, not leaving this church, but leaving churches across America in drones, is because what is on the inside 
doesn't look that much different than what's on the outside anymore. We don't display the same love. We, we display about the same love on the inside too often that somebody would display in a landlord-tenant relationship out in the world. And so they come in and they expect something different because what is, what is intrinsically placed inside of them, when God created them, he placed certain things inside of every creature. And so what's in there is a desire to draw near to God. Even for those who say they don't believe in God, deep down inside of them, they want to see God. And when they come to the place where God is supposed to be glorified in His church and they don't see the love of God, they take a step further away from God and they begin to say, if that is what the display of God is, I don't need it. And so by this we know love. As we look at this scripture this morning, it is too easy for us to say, well that is the world and we are the church. But let us make sure that we live in our lives in such a way that this is the church and it looks different than the world. And we're not displaying the same characteristics of the world. John calls us first to the example of hatred and he tells us to look at the sons of Adam. Cain and Abel, look at verse 12. It says, not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Not of Cain. He calls us to this earthly example that he has of hatred and how it's supposed to look. Cain was the first person born in this world after the fall of man. Have you ever thought about that? After Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and did what they weren't supposed to do and man fell in Genesis chapter 3, Cain was the first person born under the sinful covenant that man had entered into. The first person. Now here's what's important about that. It didn't take us long to begin to hate once sin entered into our race. Once sin entered through Adam and then Cain was born, it didn't take long for hate. A hate that was so, so much there and so powerful that he would kill his very brother. He would slay his brother. The words used in Genesis speak to slitting of the throat. It just speaks of a violent murder. It wasn't like it was an accidental shove and Abel toppled to his death. It wasn't like he slipped and fell. No, he set out to bash the man's head and murder him because of the hatred that had entered into his life. That didn't take us long, did it? The first person born into the sinful relationship resorted to murder. The very first. You know, Cain and Abel, they both received direction. They both understood how the sacrifice was supposed to look. Abel was obedient. Cain was disobedient and rebellious. His sacrifice was rejected because he did not do what God told him to do. It's not like Cain had some secret code to decipher and Abel figured it out quicker. They both had the clear direction to what they were supposed to do and Cain didn't do it. He did what he wanted to do instead of what God told him to do and hatred over came him. But let us not forget the second mark of hatred. And that is where it originates. It said, not as Cain who was of what? The wicked one. Not of Cain who was of Satan. Plug that word in there. Let's go ahead and, and call it for what it is. The wicked one almost gives him a title he doesn't deserve. Let's go ahead and call him as Satan. 
Cain, who was of Satan. Verse 12 says he was of the wicked one. He was of Satan and he committed murder. John 8.44 says that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. True hatred is manifested when Satan is at its root. When Satan is at its root, that is where true hatred plays itself out. And I'll tell you something else about hatred. It's usually marked by one's own sins. Usually marked by our own sins. Why was Cain angry with Abel? You remember the story, right? They were told to sacrifice. They had the rules. Abel sacrificed correctly. God was pleased. Cain sacrificed how he wanted to. His sacrifice was rejected. He went out angry at Abel. But what did Abel do to him? Nothing. Abel did nothing to his brother. Abel loved his brother. Abel merely loved God and was obedient to God. And Cain was so angry. But can you imagine the story that Cain would have told to his friends? I bet, I bet when Cain told the story to his friends, they didn't gather up. And I bet he didn't say something like... Uh, Guys, you'll never believe what I did. We were supposed to, to give our sacrifices, and uh, man, I messed this one up. I really messed up. And I didn't sacrifice correctly, and Abel did, and, and that's why his sacrifice was accepted, and mine wasn't. And I don't know what I'm going to do. I hope God will forgive me. I bet that wasn't Cain's conversation. I'd say it sounded more like this. Y'all won't believe what Abel did. We was giving our sacrifices and I went down there and I gave my sacrifice to God and Abel come in and he gave one. He was just trying to one-up me. You know he's always trying to one-up me. He always sweeps the floor better than I do. He always does this and does that. And I am so sick of him. And I'm going to take him out because I'm sick of the way he does me. But he didn't do anything to him. How many times in our lives if we would stop and look at our anger, would we say, they really didn't do anything to me. I did this to myself. Think about it. Do you know how many times I have had to stick a size 10 left foot inside of my mouth when I realized that the only person I was angry with was me? Because I had messed up. And boy, oh boy, at first, I'll go ahead and go into defensive mode in the boxing ring, right? I'm back in the corner. Anybody gets close, I'm going to come out swinging, right? But suddenly when I'm sitting in that corner and I get quiet, I realize the only person that got in that corner was me. They didn't have my worst interest at heart. They were merely trying to do what God called them to do, and it hurt my feelings, and I got mad, and they must have been trying to get me. How many people have left churches across America in a fit of anger where if they would have only had a discussion, they would have realized that person wasn't really trying to hate me. That person really wasn't trying to crush me. That person was trying their best to love me or maybe they were trying to be obedient to God and I just didn't see it because I am so self-absorbed 
that I don't realize that the problem is sometimes my own fault. And I believe if you'll be honest with yourself, you'll find that more often than not, when you're angry, you're angry with yourself. You're just taking it out on someone else. Not always. Sometimes we're hurt and we have reason. There's an answer for that too, and it's called a discussion. And usually on the other side of the discussion, we'll decide they didn't really want to hurt us. They just made a mistake. Neither way was it hatred, which is what we make it when we go talking. But why does it matter? Why does it really matter? It's just anger, Brother Jason. Everybody gets mad, Brother Jason. Everybody gets a little anger. Everybody shows a little hatred now again. Uh, Romans says that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, so surely you don't expect me to be perfect. What, why is it such a big deal if I get mad every once in a while and, and, and show a little hatred every now and then? Because in verse 14 and 15, we say that carrying the mark of hatred is associated with being spiritually dead. Whoever does not love his brother abides in death. He says, if you can't love your brother, then you're living in that place where the lost live, is essentially what he's saying. When he says spiritually dead, he literally means not to know God, to be spiritually dead. And so he says, if you're carrying the mark of hatred, then you're carrying the mark of the world, which means you're acting like an unbeliever. Now, is there anybody who would gladly raise their hand and say, I sure would like to act like an unbeliever? I sure would like when everybody sees me for them to wonder if I know Jesus or not. Of course you don't. Of course you don't. But when we act with hatred and malice and anger and discontentment in our heart and we don't show love to our brother, that is exactly what we are showing to the world is that we don't love and we don't know love because we don't know Jesus. Maybe you do and you're just not showing it correctly. So why don't we look at the other side of the coin because this is going to be a little more fun. That one... Not much fun, is it? Not much fun to talk about hate. Let's talk about love a little bit. So if the mark of the world is hatred and the mark of the church is love, look with me at a few things as we see a stark contrast. First, first we saw that hatred was represented by the firstborn of Adam, Cain. But love is represented by the firstborn son of God, Jesus. Look at verse 16 with me. And by this we know love, he laid down his life for us. The cross of Jesus Christ is the most supreme demonstration of love. And I know I've said that before. I'll say it four more times before we close because it is the most important thing that we can get this morning. The cross of Jesus Christ is the most important and supreme demonstration of love that has ever been manifested. And when it says, by this we know love, it literally means by the experience that is available because of the cross. Because of the experience of Jesus Christ on the cross, we can know love. You know what that tells me? It can't be rooted in anything else but the cross of Jesus Christ. And if your love is rooted in anything besides the cross of Jesus Christ, it ain't love. Sorry. Because only by the cross do we know love. We talked about it last week. But on Calvary's hill, 
Jesus Christ who knew no sin. He had never sinned. He never had a bad thought, never had a bad deed, never had a bad action. Stretched out his arms and died for other people's sin. Just because he loved us. Just because he loved us. And I realize that that is an example that we can't live up to because we're not Jesus. But it is an example that lets us know the kind of love that flows through the veins of someone that knows Jesus Christ. The kind of love that lives inside of us is the kind of love that would willingly stretch out his arms and die for an entire creation of people that had rebelled against him since the beginning. Not only did it begin with the firstborn son of God, but love also, where hatred originated with Satan, the wicked one, we see that love originates with God. In chapter 4, verse 7, John will say it outright. He'll say that God is love. But in verse 17, at the end of the verse, he says, Whoever has this world's good, sees his brother in need, shuts his heart from him, then how does the love of God abide in him? He says, if you don't do these things, then the love of God can't abide in you. So the, the logical inverse of that is he says, if you do these things, if you do love your brother, if you do show love to your kid, if you do show love to these people, then the, the love of God has to live inside of you because if it doesn't, you can't do these things. You're not capable of loving others until you have the love of Christ inside of you. So it has to originate inside of you in God. Hatred divides people and brings about murder. We saw that, didn't we, in Cain and Abel. That starts with hatred. That starts with Satan. But love, on the other hand, unites people. And rather than calling for love, it, it calls for sacrifice, laying down one's life for others. To think about this, to experience the sacrificial love of Jesus who died for you says that you too would be willing to lay down your life because of that love. You too would be willing to lay down your life for others because of the fact that Jesus laid down his life for you. It's really easy to say, yeah, I would, I would die for my brothers in Christ. It would be easy for me to look out across this room and see so many faces looking back at me and say, I would gladly lay down my life for your cause. A few of you, yeah, just kidding, just sort of kidding. It's easy to do that. You can laugh. It was a joke. All right? I would gladly die for all of you in the right situation. But we look across this room and we say, I'd lay down my life for them. I can look at my friends. I can look at my family and say, I'd, I'd lay down my life for them. But I want you to look at what John does to us through the, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, he calls us out, right? Verse 16 says, we ought, to, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Then he says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in needs and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? See, it's easy to say that I would die for someone. But what he's saying is, if you, if you know your brother has need... And you're not willing to sacrifice your stuff. You're not willing to sacrifice your money. Then how in the world, if you're not willing to sacrifice those things, how can you pretend you would lay down your life? 
How, how can you even say that I'd willingly... Your life is, is what, the most valuable thing short of salvation that you are, are given in this world. And so how can you say that I would be willing to lay down the thing that is most valuable to me on, on you know, I would lay it down, but I wouldn't give you $100. I would gladly give my life for you, but I wouldn't give you my Big Mac. Think about that statement. And that's what John tells us to do in verse 17. He calls us to examine ourselves. And he says, if, if you're not willing to go an inch, you're not willing to give away your stuff, how in the world could you pretend that you'd be willing to go a mile? If you won't go an inch, how are you going to go a mile? If you won't step out of your home, how are you going to go to Africa? If you, won't, if you won't come to God's house on Sunday morning, how are you going to go be an evangelist on Monday afternoon? If you won't reach out to that person in God's house that you know needs you, how in the world are you going to go save a lost and dying world? If you won't go next door to the church to provide food for someone who needs food, how in the world are you going to pretend that you're going to evangelize the world? I'm going to take hell with a water hose, but I ain't willing to give nobody a, a tube of sausage. Think about that. By this we know love that he laid down his life. By this we show love that we love our brothers. We love our brothers. And hatred is motivated by one's own sin. But love is motivated by God and his love. To love someone else is to reflect the love that Jesus had for you on Calvary's hill. If we love the brethren, then we'll know that we have passed from death to life, that we have been reborn. In contrast, if we don't love the brethren, if we don't show that love, then I think we have to question where we're at on our spiritual walk with Christ. So the mark of the world is hatred. The mark of the church is love. And as we close, love is a call to action. Look at verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, don't talk about how you love others. Show it in what you're doing. You know, when we first got together, I told Liette that I loved her shortly after we started dating because I just knew that I loved her. And it slipped out in a sentence that was supposed to be, I care a lot about you, and I accidentally said I love you because I wasn't supposed to love her yet and messed my whole thing up. I was trying to be tough and keep her at a distance and not let her know how I felt. But you know, those words that I spoke that evening, they're not why she married me. It wasn't because I told her that I loved her. It wasn't because I said, I love you, Leah. I mean, I care a lot about you. That's not why she married. She, she married me, one, because she doesn't have very much sense, but <laughs> she married me because of the daily giving of myself to her. And my good looks. It was because I daily gave myself to her. And eventually she realized by the way that I was living my life, 
that I loved her. And I realized by the way that she was daily giving herself to me that she loved me. It wasn't because we said we love each other. When I was in high school, I loved every girl that would go out with me. <laughs> Some of them twice. But it's not a thing you say. It's a thing you do. It's not good enough to say that I love others, that I love this church, that I love these people. We say all the time that we love this church. But are you giving yourself to it? Are you really doing your best to show up and sacrifice yourself for the ministry of this church? Are you willing to go not just the extra mile? What did the Good Samaritan do? He didn't just, didn't just clean the guy up. He didn't just pick him up and give him clothes. He took him all the way, right? He took him all the way to the end, and he told the innkeeper, he said, I'll be back to settle this debt because I'm going to take it all the way. And so are you, you say you love, but do you show it in the way you live? You say you love, but do you do it in what you do? Are you willing to give inch by inch by inch? Or is it just words that you say? When the call to love your brother is given, do you respond? See, Jesus says that we should examine how we love each other because it is a reflection of whether or not we truly know Christ. All throughout the Bible, we're given so many ways to know if we're saved. I get that question all the time. How, how do I know, Brother Jason, that I'm really saved? One of the ways that God gives us in his word is how do you love others? How do you love? Because that is a mark of whether you really know Christ. James says, show me your works and I'll show you your faith. And when he says that, he doesn't say, the things that you do are going to earn your faith. What he's saying is the things that you do are a result of your faith. If you know Christ, you'll do these things and you'll show me that you love Christ. John says the same thing about love. If you love Christ, then you'll love people. You see, the world equates love with a feeling, with an emotion. The world makes love a noun which is why they really miss it, is because they equate it all with a feeling or an emotion. But what God's Word says is it has nothing to do with a feeling or an emotion or a smile or a feeling good or in a what makes me happy or in a what makes me feel good. It says that love is really a verb, and it's what you do. By this we know love, that he laid down his life that we too would be willing to lay down our lives, that we too would be willing to sacrifice ourselves, and that we too would be marked by the love of Christ in every moment of our lives. Let us pray. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.